I've had fun this December as we've been leading up to Christmas last week, kind of in this weird in-between time for me as a planner of preaching series, a little inside information on how I think. So we've been leading up to Christmas doing these teachings uh, based on characters in Scripture surrounding the story of Christmas, characters who missed it, who even though they were right there when God came into the world, they totally missed it. And we're kind of into not missing stuff. Like, did y'all know I just found out today, my son's going to a wedding tonight. I heard some other friends are in town for a wedding. Why wedding on a Sunday? Because today is one, two, three, one, two, three. That's the date. So those guys are genius. So they can always remember when their anniversary is. And so, you know, that's just notable. If I didn't know that, and then I noted it, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And that's nothing compared to what happened when Jesus was born into the world. And for various reasons, these different characters missed Jesus when he came right into their space. And so we've been using them to evaluate ourselves because we are entirely vulnerable to the same things that those people were. That means we are entirely capable of missing Jesus when he comes into our life in our day as they were then for those same reasons. But we're in, like I said, we're in that weird part of the year where I've kind of done what I wanted to do in that series. And I've turned my attention now to the new year, but we're not quite in the new year yet. And there's a lot of people that are still traveling and and things like that. So I decided today that there's one more group of characters surrounding the Christmas story that I want us to look at as we finish up 2023 and we move into 2024. Um, And I'm happy to report that while they easily could have, this group did not miss Christmas. So the group I want to look at are the shepherds. The shepherds who were out living in a nearby field, okay? So let me read the part of the story that they're in, and then I'm going to explore two questions. Why I kind of imagine they could have missed out on Jesus, even though they were so close by. And then in glorious fashion, I want to look at the primary reason why they didn't, why they did not miss it. Okay, so let me read this to you. It's in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So that's the narrative. And as you can tell in the story, that group of shepherds, they didn't miss it. They were there. Jesus came into their space and they made it. But I want to examine again, first of all, a few reasons why they could have. Things that I see in the text that I could see being pretty good reasons for why they might have missed them. They didn't, but they could have. First of all, is that they were shepherds. Okay, now what do I mean by that? This would have stood out to those first century readers, not so much to us, but let me just say shepherds were not like the aristocracy of the time. Okay, they were not seen as on all of the social and even religious totem poles of value. They were not even near the top. They were towards the bottom of all the people that we would think God might send a great company of the heavenly host to make this announcement to. It would not be these guys, these homeless guys. Did you notice? They're homeless. It says they were living out in the fields nearby. So it's a very unlikely group of characters for this time. Herod, he's like the ruler. He didn't get a heavenly host. He got some weird mystics from the east, right? The religious leaders, they didn't get the heavenly host. Hosts, they've, they had, you know, Herod kind of called them in saying, where's he going to be born? He got this thing happening. But these guys, they get royalty coming to them. They get heaven coming to them directly. But they are not important people. They are not highly favored people. They are not the influential people. Now, our current impression, at least mine, of shepherds, it's not negative, really. I don't see them as ruffians, you know. I kind of think of them as, you know, it's a, when I think back of shepherds back then, that they were, it's an honest living, integrity-filled people, maybe even, we we might even romanticize it a little bit, because scripture goes on and uses the shepherding image for even Jesus, right? He's the good shepherd. For even God, God is called a good shepherd. And so we might even have this high view, but back then, that was not the case. They were not seen that way. And one of the reasons um, religiously they were kind of despised is because as you, we presume these were Jewish, because they knew the city of David was Bethlehem. So we, we presume that they're Jews. But the reason religiously they were looked down upon is because their jobs made it to where they couldn't maintain all the ceremonial washings. They couldn't show up to all the ceremonial activities, festivals, the feasts. Why? Because like our ranchers even today and some of our railroaders, you know, trains and cattle and livestock and sheep do not take days off. And so they couldn't adhere to those. So they were looked down upon religiously. Now in the Old Testament, socially, the patriarchs and all them, religiously and socially, they were seen as fine because everyone was a nomadic back then. You know, Abraham and David, everybody, even wealth was measured by how much you had in your, you know, livestocks, but things had changed by the time of Jesus socially. City life had become a thing. And so there were different measuring sticks and shepherds kind of got lost as those dirty, homeless people when being clean and having a home had come into the culture and risen up as valuable. And even wealth was determined by other things besides 
livestock. So they were looked down upon. I found one commentary that said the shepherds were at the same social level as tax collectors. So you may or may not know, but just know that's really, really low. They were not looked on favorably. So that's one reason that they could have missed it. Because in the minds of men, at least, they just weren't influential enough or significant enough or socially prioritized enough as people needing to know. Clearly, that's different for God. So that's one reason they might have missed it that they didn't. Second reason they might have missed it is fear. I mean, their first response when this angel showed up, it says in verse 9, they were terrified. Okay, so we're not told exactly why they were full of fear. I always have presumed it was just the sight of this angel because in all through Scripture, the most common thing said whenever somebody sees an angel is the angel saying what he says here, do not be afraid. There, I mean, we have pictures of angels maybe on our little Hallmark cards that they're beautiful little you know, wings, little air. I don't know. But evidently they were a presence We know they were powerful and they inspired awe and possibly fear. So we don't know why they were afraid that might have been, but for whatever reason, we do know. There's no doubt that fear is one big reason why people miss out on significant things. It's because we're afraid. And usually when someone is afraid, their number one job of their life at that point is to beeline to the closest path out of fear. Okay, that's what we do. When we're afraid, we don't want to be afraid, and we do whatever we can to become unafraid. That's our goal. And I'm not even saying that's bad, right? Nothing could be more normal than this. Nothing's more human. God put that into us. It's, it's a part of his design. Fear often protects us. It alerts us. It activates us. It moves us. It's supposed to. But sometimes we have learned in our brokenness Fear comes into us at times that are inappropriate, that we feel afraid because something feels threatening or like it's going to change something we don't want to change or whatever, and we feel afraid, and it's not supposed to dictate what we do. We're supposed to walk into it. We're supposed to face it, but our brokenness, our weakness, our conditioning sometimes allows fear to rule us inappropriately. So one part of spiritual maturity, and it comes up quite often as we study together. One part of that is to not allow fear to rule. We learn that fear is something we're supposed to overcome. Matter of fact, overcoming fear, facing it, and acting in spite of it is a pretty sound definition of faith. That's what faith is. It's being sure of what we hope for, right? Confident in what we can't see, Oftentimes, fear is involved in that. It reminded me of a story that I've, I think I've told a couple of times over my two decades here, but I think it's been long enough that I want to share it again because this, this was like my epic childhood moment where I acknowledge the difference between fear and faith and how fear can steal something um, valuable to you, from you. So I was a little kid. I don't remember how young I was. I'm pretty sure elementary school. And me and my big brother, who's a couple years older than me, we climbed to the highest point in existence on the planet, the roof of our house. That's right. And at my age, that's the high, I mean, that is, that is above it all, right? And so we're up there and we're exploring and venturing. I don't remember how we got up there. And uh, my dad walks out in the backyard and he busts us. He turns backwards and he looks up and he, I'm like, oh, and he was surprisingly cool about it. 
he's like, hey, what are you guys doing? And we're, you know, relieved. We're like, oh, dad, all right, cool. And so I was like, we're like relieved, right? And so, so we're telling, we were just checking it out or whatever. So we're talking to him from the top of the roof. I thought this is the coolest thing ever. Like this is permission. I'm allowed up here. You know, it's what it feels like. And then he said, so we have this huge oak tree behind dad that has its branches coming over that rooftop. And my dad, my dad says, you know, Brian, I think if you grabbed that branch and just the, the, the branches that are there and you jumped off the roof, I think that that would just let, lay you down perfectly right on the ground. So first of all, mom would kill you if she knew you were saying this. But second, I grab those and I'm looking, I'm moving to the edge. I'm, I cannot believe this is a possibility. This would be the coolest thing ever. And so I'm considering it. Why? Because my dad suggested it. He suggested it. So I am on the edge, but I'm scared. I'm scared, but I'm holding this thing. I'm like, you know, trying. And I look over at my brother and he's standing here going <laughs> like this. But, and so I'm looking and I'm looking and there's my dad smiling. And yeah, I get, you think so? And he goes, yeah, I think so. I think it'll be fine. I'm like, so you know what I did? I didn't jump. I didn't jump. And to this day, I remember this story with regret. Right? I mean, I wish, I, think if I jumped and it worked. If it worked, man, I'm the coolest kid in the neighborhood. Come here, check this out. Watch, look, I'm crazy. You know, and, and I mean, I'm going up there. It's like an Astroworld ride to me, you know, just got six flags ride. Just go up and jump and I'm doing it all day if that worked. And I, looking back, I should have. My dad knows more than me, okay? My dad loves me, and on top of that, this is the tallest place in the world to me, but to my dad, he tiptoes and he can touch my feet. He's not gonna let anything happen to me. I could have, I could have done it, and I missed it. I missed it because of fear. These shepherds were terrified, it says. It's one of the strongest words for fear that the Greek can use. It's the word phobos. I looked it up in the Greek. You hear our word phobia. It's where we get it. And it says it's, it is to be put in fear, to be put in alarm, to be put in terror. It is exceedingly afraid, not just afraid. That's what they felt. They could have had, what, what could have happened next was them dropping their staffs abandoning their sheep and running away. They were terrified. That's what fear does to us, but they didn't. So that's another reason they could have missed it, but they didn't was because of fear. The last one I see why they could have missed it was, is indifference. It's indifference. So here's where I see that. Verse 15, 16, I'll read it again. So when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, I don't know why that jumps off the page. That's just so cool to me. There was an angel and then a host followed. And then they left and went back to heaven. I just, I don't know. That, that's who they were in the company of someone who just, they went home to heaven. I just think that's cool. The shepherds, here's what happened next. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried. They hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, which was lying in the manger. What they could have said, even if they're, fear didn't make them abandon their flocks. They could have sat there. The angels left them, go back to heaven. And they would have said, um, did you see what I just saw? 
Did, did you hear what I just hear? Let's not tell anybody. That's, I mean, they're going to think we're crazy. Or they're like me. Maybe they like crazy a little. And so they go, you know what? That was the coolest thing ever. And they really, they've had this incredible spiritual experience. And rather than let it lead them somewhere, they got stuff to do. They got flocks and, you know, whatever. So they just go, that's so cool. And they tell everybody about this experience, but it's just limited to that. They were indifferent about the content and where it was trying to guide them to. And they just enjoy that spiritual experience. But maybe the most common one I could think of that is indifferent is if they, they go, man, that is some big news. But, but we've got job to do. I mean, we got work to do and we're in the middle of something. We can't lose these flies, you know, whatever. You know what? You know what? To be faithful to what he said, he said, we'll know it's them when there's a baby in close. So we'll just keep, keep our eyes open for that sign. We'll just, as we go, we'll just keep an eye open for that sign. But they didn't do that. All that is different versions with a little smoke screen of indifference. Of not doing what this calls for. But they didn't. They were not indifferent. They were the opposite of indifferent. The, the, the opposite of indifference is caring to the point of action. Caring to the point of action. And they literally said what more of us need to say. Let's go. Let's hurry off. Let's do it. Ironically, they presumably did abandon their sheep, but not out of fear. Instead, out of faith. We leave that to God too. Let's go. So that's another reason they could have missed it because of their difference, but they didn't. So I hope those three things are just worthwhile reflections for you, useful for you that you don't ever let wherever you think you are on the spiritual or religious social ladder or where you are on the so just the strictly social ladder that you never fall into the trap of thinking it's for everyone else it's not for me it's amazing how often that comes up in my office so i hope you won't do that i hope you don't let when you're afraid when Jesus comes and to you and you're afraid it's going to cost you too much or make you want to change things or decisions that you just don't want to have to deal with, whatever, and indifference. I hope for sure you're not indifferent. I hope these are worthy reflections. But I really, what, what I really want to look at the shepherds for and turn your attention to is the first and primary reason that these shepherds did not miss Christmas. And this one observation, this one right here, if you don't remember anything else, this is a soft launch for what our elders are calling us to for this whole next year. The primary reason that these guys just on the side, living on the side of the hill doing their job, didn't miss Jesus is because someone came and told them about him. Someone shared the news with them. Someone informed them what had happened. Someone included them in this larger story that was taking place. Someone invited them to come and see. That's why they didn't miss it. Now, it's on them to receive the news, right? To, to not be indifferent, to not let fear stop them, to not let self-diminishing thoughts keep them from responding. It's on them to receive it. It's on them to respond to it. But if no one had gone to them and told them about Jesus, they would have had nothing to receive or respond to. They were dependent, completely dependent on someone else who knows coming and telling them who didn't. And in the story, you know who it was. It was an angel. 
But do you know what the word angel means? Like the, 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 just the base word angel? I looked it up. We can't help, again, but think of angel as, a, as this noun of somebody who comes from heaven, these brilliant heavenly creatures. And they are that often. But the word that they use simply means messenger. Mess, that's what angel means, messenger. This next year, all year long, we're going to be looking at our responsibility as messengers. The church's corporate universal responsibility on earth as messengers. And that means our little church family's responsibility in that plan as messengers. Our responsibility to share Jesus. It's part of our call. We want to be a church this next year that more intentionally than we have in recent past. In the recent past, we've had COVID, which necessarily made us huddle up and take care of each other. Rightly so. It was a difficult time. You know, then shortly after, we did a very powerful study of Scripture that involved us really diving in and learning and unlearning things. That took time. We had to spend time with each other. And that was right and correct to do that too. But we have now had years of really taking care of and focusing on each other. And I'm not saying that was wrong. I'm just saying it's time. It's time for us to add back to our practice a very real and honest and significant and intentional kingdom-centered view on the world. We're supposed to be a beacon of light to the world. Paul calls us ambassadors of God. No ambassador is an ambassador to their own people. It is always to another people. In fact, ambassadors move to where the other people live to represent another people. And so that's the image that Paul calls on. We're messengers. That means we're a group of people with a message. Our work goal this coming year is a leadership. We will be doing things. We will be preaching things, teaching things, planning things, promoting things. That, in, that hopefully their purpose is to inspire you, equip you, and provide you with enabling opportunities to share Jesus this next year. That's going to permeate everything we do this year. Now, that's, that's our work goal. Our faith goal is that we do. Is that we do. That we take ground. And I'm going to say take ground back for some of us. Take ground back. Our recent history has just necessarily pulled us in. And I want to, in new ways for you and for us, As a priority, we want to look at the people of our city, our neighbors, your neighbors, our Herods, our religious people, our innkeepers, our shepherds who are living in the fields, our co-workers, our classmates, our family members, our friends, whoever it is God puts in our way or sends us to. And so our hope, our faith goal is that every single one of you at this point next year can look back and say, I did it in new ways that I would otherwise not have. I shared Jesus. And I can tell you the people or the people groups that I did that with. You know, this last year, at this time last year, I remember saying at this time next year, we want to look back 
And we want everyone in here. We want to be able to pass the microphone around and we want everybody to be able to share something. What was it? To go on an accelerator event. That this next year, our work goal is to create accelerator events, to provide access to, to find accelerator events, to provide scholarships if you need help to go on an accelerator event. We can't go on the event for you, but our work is to provide and nag you about it as much as something else we did, right? Did nag you about it. So now we are at that point I mentioned last year. Looking back, did you go? Did you take a time out from your normal life and go up on the proverbial mountain and spend some extended time with Jesus in order to accelerate your discipleship a little bit more than you normally are. This is not guilt time. It's reflection time. And it's not too late. We're not legalists around here. You can do it this next year. It counts. As a matter of fact, if you went on one last year, we want you to go on another one this year, and we don't want a year to pass that you don't do Take a time out from your life and spend some time with Jesus. It's not an obligation on you. It's for you. It's for you. And so here we are again. We're looking forward to next year. We're looking forward to next year. And I'll ask probably next year, did you do it? Did you share? It's not up here yet. (laughs) It's up there. Did you share Jesus in some way that you otherwise would have? So I hope every single one of you can do that. And I'm not talking about in some, so many of us think sharing Jesus, we picture something like horrific, like something that's so uncomfortable and awkward and so ridiculous. I'm not talking about something like that. Whatever it is you're picturing, not something churchy or put offish or how we used to do it back in the day, unless it still works, then yes, that's fine. But if it doesn't, then no, not that. But just in a way that's natural and organic and relevant and effective and loving and inviting. And this is most important, spirit-led. Look, God's not trying to make you go into awkward situations to knock on the door and cold call somebody with the gospel message and hope it takes root. Have you ever considered where you're going when you die? Right? He's not. So whatever your picture is, would you just... Delete that and open up to the Spirit. The Spirit wants Jesus to be shared more than you ever will. And frankly, He doesn't need you, He invites you to the adventure of your life, to the highest place that exists for a human being, higher than the roof of my house, to the mission of God. So to that end, I want you to mark your calendars. This is the first call to every single member of this church. It's Saturday and Sunday, March 2nd and 3rd. So almost 20 years ago, we did an event called the Line of Departure. I don't know if some of you were here back then, but we're going to do another version of that. Line of Departure, that, that title of that event, that comes from, it's a military term where a mission is declared by a force and there's a line that they literally meet up at and then they get on the same page and get mobilized and they cross that line in unity and with resolve to accomplish their mission. Paul uses some military analogies in scripture, but of course we know this isn't a violent thing at all. It's a loving mission that we're on. And so we're going to do one of those again. And we want everyone to be there. It's an equipping time, a time to really take a look 
and discuss what it looks like and what skills are needed and how we're going to join God on his mission, both you in your life and us in our life as a church. And once again, we want every single member to be there. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an interactive day together and Sunday, two days, Saturday and Sunday, but with the mission of God to the world squarely in mind. Would you, I want you to, would you make that weekend a priority? Would you? Like, I know I have not gone to church on occasion. I'm preacher for other priorities. That weekend, would you make this your priority? Would you cancel the sporting events trip? Would you cancel whatever day and make that weekend a priority? If you can't, you can't. But would you consider it and see if you can? And join us. It's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a good day. So that's the call. Are you a part of something or not? Something that matters. Are you, do you believe this matters? Are you a Christ follower or not? Are you a member of this church family or not? I know I'm being intense here. This stuff matters. It matters. And it's time for us with one voice to do something together that says, I'm in. I'm in. What's it going to look like as the year progresses? Not sure. I'm excited about it. And without shame... I'm calling you to make room for the mission of Christ in your life with us and for God. That's what I want you to do. I want you to really consider that and pray about that. I'm going to have our praise team coming up here on stage and our elders and ministers and their spouses move around the room. As I just highlight one more little verse from this story, it's the angel talking to these guys. Right after he says, do not be afraid, he says this in verse 9. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for the church. It's not what it says, is it? It's for all the people. It's for all, all who? People. This message we carry around is not just for us. Now, we need to remember that the good news of Jesus is not for a select group of people. It is for all people. It is for the world. There's this gravity in every church that just kind of pulls us down. Even when COVID's not around, right? Even when a special study that we need to spend time together is not here. There's a gravity on the church to a fortress mentality. Kind of, and, we, and we take care of each other and we take care of our sick and we raise our kids and we work on our marriages and we, we feed each other and we do all that. And we should, as a priority, we should. Paul says in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We need to take care of each other. Without missing one beat on that, we need to acknowledge that we are not truly taking care of each other unless we are also mobilizing to give it away. That we're missing out on our caregiving to each other. And we are certainly, so we are certainly not to neglect the, the second part of this, the body of believers for the first part, but we are not to neglect the first part either to do good to all people because it is for all.
people. Every single one of you. There is a person or a people group out there that count among the Bible's all-inclusive all people that just needs Christ shared with them. They, they, they exist. That person exists. God knows who they are. Time for us to tune in. And as a church, find them and invite them right here. We got room. We got room. And so does God. So would you join in the greatest, most loving, most significant movement that humanity has ever seen? Would you join in that with us this next year? That's the call. Help and join us in sharing Jesus. Let's stand and let's sing to God and ask him to help us this year. And if you need anything, please come.